Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa undang namang sanghang namasami As it said in the, in the scriptures you you don't get to the end of the end of suffering until you get to the end end of the world. And this, uh, you don't get to the end of the world by travelling, moving around. Within this very body, with its perceptions and consciousness, is the arising of the world the cessation of the world and the path leading to the cessation of the world so we have to understand this um, the world the world is we're so in it that we don't see it because we haven't got anything to compare it with until you get to the end of it you don't really know what it is it's only when you come out of the water that you really know what the water is. You've got something to compare it with. It's only when we find the place where the world ends that we really understand what the world is. So for, you know, as we, depending on how one's practice is, is faring, or one's general development, some, a certain amount of faith is required if you haven't actually seen that or been at that place where it ends. Look, faith is required that, that uh, quality of something that lifts the heart sustains this is a very important feature the quality of faith in, in Buddhist practice it's, it begins with that yeah, if you like two two mating, motivating forces one is the recognition of suffering dukkha, death, pain confusion both immediate and in the future and around us sangweka, sense of urgency places on fire the other is the sense of uh, trust faith, confidence hey there is, there is, a, there is a way out possible yeah. and it's something that we can uh, we can feel we can, with that we can give ourselves to it and so this before there's any degree really of, of much wisdom much intelligence you know, or even much samadhi faith is, is to be there Faith is sometimes called faith. It begins with it's called the the sapurisa, or the true the true man, or the person of Dhamma, the teacher, the Buddha. And this is the, the what's called the fourth sign, the sign of the Samana, the true the true person, the person of Dhamma. And someone who's not actually you know lost in the world. And we understand when we understand the world is within this very 
body and consciousness and feelings and perceptions this is the world they're not lost in they're not lost in themselves they're not believing in themselves they're not following their thoughts they're not stuck on their feelings they're not hung up on their opinions they're not craving for an opinion they're not searching for a thought they're not wanting a feeling they're not asking for a particular state of of perceptual consciousness they're not hung up on the world this is what the world is and something that can you know this is to just to recognize is here to going beyond perceptions feelings thoughts opinions states of mind bodily senses we can't we haven't gone beyond at least recognizing this is what we are to go beyond We don't, don't necessarily understand it or have an idea about it, and we're getting the, fi- the sense of that, you know, because we can rec- this is we can recognise this world and and what it feels like, because we're in. We can once it's pointed out to us, you see how much we group ourselves, we find ourselves, we form ourselves, we formulate ourselves, dependent on what kind of physical feeling we're having, what kind of emotional state we're in, what kind of thoughts we're having. Whether we can think, perhaps we haven't got an idea of what's going on and we feel lost and confused because we don't haven't got a thought. Or we've got lots of thoughts and we feel really, oh yeah, I know I've got it all figured out, I know what's going on and this, that and the other. You know? So this is when we're actually looking in the, within the world for which works okay if you want to be in the world. So you, you know, people who rightly are in the world have a lot of this stuff going for them. And but then you look around and you see well how much real serenity, freedom, ease, peacefulness is present. People just get very, very busy, very, very active, very manipulative, very opinionated. Um, they're effective but they're also in conflict they're beating people down they're beating people up they're weaving, ducking, diving skiving you know, doing the whole thing this is how you get on in the world isn't it because you know how to to, to um, operate in terms of this intimate world which we dwell in which is with us night and day you know, we sit on our own, the world is still with us, isn't it, in that sense. It's still a thought, it's still a feeling, it's still a physical experience. And how much do we do we really believe in those, take refuge in those, uh, try to find a refuge in them, try to find the good place in a physical feeling, the good place in an emotional state, the good place in a, in a bright idea. You know, how much is that really going to help us? Of course, if there were no happiness in that, we wouldn't bother with it at all. But there is some. We've all we've all had that. We've some happiness in that. The buoyant emotional state, happy mood, the pleasant physical feeling, the comfort, delight of 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 ideas and knowledge and clarity and being able to get things in perspective and to feel one knows what's going on and 
on top of it and got the answers. It really makes you feel good, doesn't it? And we can be like that. Or we admire people who are like that. Wow, he's, she's really got it together. He's really got it together. But, um, you know, if you've got it together, you have to hold it together. Those things. You have to come up with a new set of of ideas or thoughts or plans, opinions. Um, figure something. Solve something. So you, so people can get very, very restless in their minds when there's nothing much to think about. Then we start to study and plan and, you know, abstract theories, nature of time, nature of consciousness, nature of mind, um, the end of the world, the beginning of the world, uh, you know, the whole thing. Because there's something about that uh, thought world that we're so attractive to feel there's a certain pleasure that comes from having something sorted out in the mind. Just notice, you know, what people do. What we all, what we all do to a certain extent. What we, what people do in general. Why people play bridge, chess, crosswords, puzzles, logarithms, mathematical puzzles, problems, diversions, ideas, plans, concepts, theories, philosophical notions. You know. And uh, yeah, because uh, you may you may think it's been altruistic. But there's a real um, high that comes from feeling you've got it figured, and you can admire that, that the way these patterns line up in the brain and make one feel one's got a clear perspective, really, on truth or reality or what's going on. It's a very intoxicating form of pleasure because it's not sensual, it's not coarse, it's uh, not immoral good, you can have very lovely, clear, good thoughts, thoughts that can be, uh, when they're practically applied, can be, produce definite benefits, you know, it's not to decry it, but it's to understand that, you know, it is, it is the world, and it only goes so far, you can get this happiness with it, and you can get certain benefits from it, but then there's a time to say, you know, you know you've got to actually take leave of that or not be fascinated by it not ask for it when you don't have it when you don't have an idea of what to do or where to go or what things should be be begin to actually dwell in the the rather more uh, uncomfortable uncertainty where you know But you can have faith, because uh, you can still be clear and mindful of the sense of not knowing. And it, it actually shifts your fo- focus away from this place where, where we tend to constellate or group you know, our definiteness, our, our, our views, our comfort zones, our places where we feel secure and steady and in charge and on top of it all and okay and effective and useful um, not necessarily in a kind of arrogant way but just 
where I feel most uh, okay is when I've got things figured out, clear what I'm going to do tomorrow, what's happening, um, you know, know where I'm going and these kind of things. And I'm in a certain particular place, you know, where I, I, I feel a pretty together person. Well, I feel like a pretty together person. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. But there's also a place where I don't feel like such a together person. And I keep getting pushed into that when things break down, when I don't know the answer, when things don't go according to schedule, when things are a bit uncomfortable, when something happens, when things fall apart, however small, however big, in my little world view. And, oh, what's going wrong? What's happened? A flurry, can't they? A little flap feeling of discontent or even irritation. You know, somebody's messed it up. You know, or if it wasn't somebody, it's that machine broke down. It's, God, the weather's gone bad. You know, you get angry. Uh, or uh, if it's something in oneself, you're a bit depressed. You know, I can't do what I used to do. I'm not the kind, not really a together guy. These kinds of things come up. So we sit, find that suddenly when when out when my little reality system, my togetherness, kind of gets a bit of a jolt, then you know, can I actually be coherent with that, or do I just start to swing into afflictive, negative, um, depressed, fed up, impatient, angry, irritable, grumpy, sad states? And that's, that's the sign, isn't it? That's the kind of test. Because, you know, our world is going to come apart. That's the nature of it. It, it doesn't mean it's going to be a permanent disaster. But as always, reality is always moving a little bit out of what we figured and planned and felt okay with and comfortable with. And it's always just a little bit bigger than what my hold on it is. And actually, for awakening, that's good news. Because it isn't going to be about me and, you know, the world. It's going to be something that goes beyond the world. Reality actually goes beyond the world. Beyond any world that we can construct. A constructed world is always smaller than, than reality. So you get the arrogance of, of science. Because we can't measure it, it does not exist. So, you know, this is from time immemorial, isn't it? There are only so many planets in the solar system, and it's heresy to say there are more. There are so many atoms, there are so many elements, and, and so forth. That, uh, whenever they come up with a new uh, idea, this is it, you know, and, and and it's always a bit more. And every time they get the feeling of having established a, a clear understanding of the nature of the universe, or wiped out diseases, or something, something crops up that just pushes it, just cracks this nice completed theory open. One of the most interesting. Um, Proofs, it's called Gödel's theorem, 
And his theory was that all theories, including this one, are naturally imperfect. <laughs> and he actually proved it. <laughs> it's kind of gr- so, you know, they're always, in, they're always never quite, never quite enough. And it's a sign that actually, because when you, you begin to really feel the feeling of it, of what, what the w- creation of the world is grasping at security, isn't it? Underneath it all. And reality can't finally be grasped. This is the, really the kernel of the Buddha's teaching. You know, if grasping at something were worthwhile, surely the Buddha would have said, grasp, bhikkhus. No, it doesn't. It says, I do not recommend any kind of grasping. Anything. You know, any kind of grasping, upadana also means clinging, holding on, taking nourishment from, embedding yourself into anything. So what does that leave us? You know? There's a, in the, one of the, the suttas, the Aninja, the uh, way to the imperturbable, the Buddha said that the deathlessness, this is the the mind's freedom from all grasping. So, so even these subtle worlds of neither perception or non-perception, nothingness, infinite space, even the worlds of jhana, said, these are very good, these are the best kind of worlds you could have, this is the best kind of grasping. But what I really recommend is no grasping. Grasping is such an ugly word, isn't it? I don't want to feel like I'm a grasping kind of person. But the, particularly when uh, one gets a jolt, the world falls apart, something comes out of sync, something comes out of left field, and you see it is grasping, this is kind of flurry and a clutch, a certainty. Tell me what to do, what's going to happen. What's the matter? You know, give me a who's the future? Tell me the future now. You know, get it figured, sorted. You know, you can actually feel the power of it when when the, the crack appears in the world. Of the you, you really see what sense what grasping is with is a compulsion to have it conclusions drawn, ends tidied up, things finalized, things sorted. You know, the discomfortable feeling taken away, the sense it will be taken away. Or there's somebody else who will take it away for me. You know, where is he or she? Where is Big Mummy, Big Daddy? You know, and and when our, our world gets shaken, you feel this sort of little panic to look for it. Who's got the answer? And we can get really quite depressed or angry if we can't find that. We don't have the game plan. We don't have the the hole to bolt into, the escape route, the contingency plan. And how much time do we put into creating those things? People to blame, people to to um, something, something to hold on to, or ways I can I can get out. You know, whether the safe route out of this thing where I just, you know, can create my world somewhere else, or some other domain. It might just 
doesn't mean you have to go, you're just going from here to your room, to one's room, for example. Things are kind of more under my supervision, my control. So it's a very strong tendency. But really to examine how, how bad is it when things are not clear? How bad is it when things aren't going my way? How bad is it when it's a bit distracted or uncomfortable? You know, just to really, how much is that? Or how, how bad is it and how, much, how bad do I make it by my craving for the steady, the calm, the concluded, the clear, the understood, the, uh, the future, guaranteed future, the, eff- the trouble-free future, the, you know, all that. How much, how, is that kind of underlying craving, that's, and the anxiety that occurs when I c- that's not guaranteed for me. we definitely need something and certainly I would recommend faith as a, as a basis by not, by not by any means the only thing but certainly this is where we begin to take refuge we have to have faith there is a refuge and begin to, to uh, discern that and first of all our act of faith is always to, to begin to question our, our things we flinch from or things we search, we, we hang, hang on to so this has actually been the, one of the main um, themes of my own practice for at least 25 years or so is faith I'm not, wouldn't think I'm a particularly flowery, faithy kind of person but um, you know, ever ever since, ever since I became a monk, actually, it's it's been not knowing what to do, where to go, what was going on, and particularly in in Britain, it's been much more than just the not understanding the language, not knowing what people were talking about, not knowing who's going in the monastery, which is more the situation in Thailand, is not knowing. Uh, but but uh, this has been a much more um, directed not knowing, like you know, um, rather than being a kind of passive not knowing, and uh, this has been sort of deep end not knowing. That is, uh, when we came here, we didn't know whether we were going to be thrown out, whether we were going to get permission to stay here or not. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Didn't. When we were at before we came here, we didn't know whether we'd have enough support, and the English Sangha Trust said they would provide us with sugar, tea, and rice. That was all the money they had, and they couldn't pay electric. We couldn't have any heat because we couldn't pay electricity bills, but we could have sugar, tea, and rice. So it's hardly like well, you know, this is fat city, is it? Sugar, tea, and rice. But you said, "Well, here we go." You know, actually, we got more than that. You know, we got a few veggies and uh, this, that, and the other came in. But he didn't know; he couldn't guarantee it. So you just, well, see how we could, day at a time, kind of thing. 
and so that that the the feeling of insecurity about the future in a way after a while it, your mind begins to just perforce just not dwell in future projections it's just too awkward, too painful too clumsy too proliferation to go there there's so many possibilities of what could and couldn't and might and should and ought and we how we and everything. I just just this you know, you're all right this is kind of a very important place of training come back into the present and also to be into fully appreciate the all rightness because in that state of insecurity and anxiety we can imagine and attend to you know, things that don't feel so good the problematic, the unsolved and perhaps not recognize that one's in a place the generosity of precepts of morality of goodness and virtue and just well this is nobody's going to pinch your stuff nobody's going to beat you up and uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of goodness around and we have to just drink that in is really important but sometimes we miss this because in our need to create a world we can get so anxious and worried that our, the world that we create is actually based upon anxiety, worry or other things of course resentment, anger, not getting a good deal it's not going the way I want it to so we world really based around the theme of irritation and frustration and once you're in your world the interesting thing is it, it taints what you see, hear you know it begins to affect the very things that one attends to this is the nature of the conditioned mind conditioned mind works in terms of these sankharas which are based upon contact attention and intention remember these three things contact, attention, intention contact, some of it you have not much say over it's the visual impressions the tactile impressions the olfactory and so forth some of it you have a little bit of say over it's what you think as is something that comes into contact with you it affects your heart what you think mm. what we think affects our hearts if we think in terms of irritation or sadness or anxiety or worry then we definitely inject that quality into our hearts mm. contact We reflect, consider the good, the true, the generous, the upright, that definitely contact impression definitely affects our hearts. Contact is a powerful condition, conditioner, a sankara. Attention is that which firms up a focus, means there's always 
in consciousness there's always so much possibility isn't there these things could see, hear, touch taste, that's happening that's flooding in what actually does your mind linger on this is attention, what does it pick up and particularly of course in the mental realm right now, you know, we could think anything really Pythagoras think about Pythagoras um, state of the armadillo scriptures my cousin Nancy um, how to cook a pasta and you know infinite well nearly infinite thoughts which of those can focus on and you know so it's just noticing what particular topics it's like you say there's a huge array of dots which we might say it's all the possible thoughts it's a range of dots and somehow it's rather like when you see these puzzles when you line up the dots and you form a kite or a swan or something like that there's all these zillions of dots we line up 20 of them to form a monster it's true, there it is yeah, but you could have lined up those dots and had a butterfly or you could have lined up those dots and had a sunset or, or you could have actually stopped lining up dots <laughs> which is the cessation of attention doesn't mean you're not attentive it means your attention is not sankaring, which is conditioning which is activating, it's just And uh, you know, the middle, the path, pro, the process path of towards the cessation of attention, the resting of attention, the going down of the sankharas, which is the real activity agent of that builds our world. Is we begin to we establish skillful contact, and we begin to use attention just a note either we can pick up a skillful object or attention or more subtly we can just note now it's like this now the feeling is like this now the thoughts like this this is called the, the training in mindfulness and full awareness this is actually we're not this is subtle but right you know at that point we're not we can move from creating a more positive world good people and pleasant thoughts and fond memories and lovely aspirations which is a good thing to do or we can just note the world that we're in is like this it could be you know screaming and so forth and you notice this is what happens in the heart it's connected with this thought it has this bodily effect you just note it and in that you're not saying it should be another way or anything like that, nor particularly proliferating around it, which means it's always like this. I'm never like that. It always will be like this. People are always like that. Which is when you, 
the, 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 the attention proliferates, it starts lining up dots, starts creating conclusions. It forms a generalization about self or the world or other, and it comes to its conclusions. This is it, right? That's that. And then it creates uh, a, a, c- a conclusion and then maybe creates, uh, well, this is what I'm going to do about it. And, you know, so you're using attention to, um, in this particular way. But it, with mindfulness, you, you don't use attention that way. You just use attention to notice how it is to fully notice how it is. Notice it, the surging up, the physical feelings, the somatic impressions, the mood tones, and it's dependent upon this thought or this visual contact or that memory or that perception. So you really study it without making any conclusions, generalizations, life statements, and uh, this may on a, you know, sound like, well, why does it bother to do that? Actually, what happens as you do that is that the very quality of attention, of mindfulness itself, becomes so much stronger in this strange sense of dispassion. Because instead of being in that world, you're now just drop defining it. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which you, you've come out. You haven't dissolve the world but you've at least come out of the trance of it where when you're in it you're moving and planning and worrying and resisting and craving and you just one's just in the trance just being able to define how the trance feels right now and notice what is it that can do that this is the power of mindfulness clear comprehension and we might begin to recognize Oh, it feels like there's a lot of worry here. Seems like there's a little bit of ill will here. This feels rather like some doubt and restlessness. Oh, those things are called hindrances. And uh, if I want to develop any strategies, it should be to eliminate these hindrances. Not to, you know, take them as this is fact and now react upon it, but I should purify the heart. Mm. That's the only conclusion that mindfulness, clear comprehension, comes to. There are things that should be abandoned. And many of these things are, you know, they're things that are causing us grief chafing, fretfulness. And it's up to us to, to, to have the faith that in ourselves we can do something about it. We don't have to wait for the world out there to change. We can do this in ourselves. Handling our moods, our reactions, our apperceptions, the bits of reality that we've stuck to, begin to realize you know I what is it that only sees these five points and misses those six points you know? let's tell you something so the very world that you're trying to escape 
itself is created rather than escape it wouldn't it be better not to create it in the first place because, <laughs> because how can the mind that's created that world know how to escape from it how can a mind that is caught in worry ill will, restlessness, doubt how's that going to get it find a way out it's hindered it can't and when the hindrances are relieved oh that's funny now there isn't a world to get out of of course these um, this is the training in, in attention and attention, contact, so and intention, the last of these sankharas is the the will, the volition, the um, inspiration you might say, the rising up, the chanda, the vigor, the, the keenness, the uh, what what our responsiveness, our, that which comes out from us. What do we intend? What do we bring forth? And certainly, the the realize the fin- the finality of the Buddhist path is the is the release of intention. There isn't a need to bring anything forth. I don't have to come up with something, hold something, make something. You know, know something, feel something. You can just it's complete rest. So what is it? going to get to that by accumulating more and more strategies but only those strategies which lead to the needing less and less strategy less and less do less and less plan less and less manipulate less and less choose less and less uh, figure less and less make happen and that's quite a path isn't it it's very daunting because in some way we feel you know, I'm losing a bit of control here and it could be very sticky I've relied all my life on my ability to duck and weave and run and figure and sort and get over and make and do and fix and change and, and give up my, my tools you know, that have got me on in my life you know. so anything you know, it requires a lot of faith and probably for most of us it's going to be quite a long time of perhaps letting that tool, putting that tool down a little bit for a little while sort of a reasonable act of faith <laughs> you know and, and having to experience that sense of loss, of, a bit of me is lost, a bit of my sense of being, being able to be on top of things is lost but this really is in, in uh, um, in my sense of it, one of the the hallmarks, or one that as one practice matures, this sense of I can be a little bit more vulnerable, open, choiceless. And so sometimes when people say they, you know, they they want to go forth, or oh, you know, say, well, actually, it's going to mean more and more of that. 
You know, and are you at that stage yet? If you're not, well, just keep practicing till your faith uh, is, is, is strong enough to be able to let go of a little bit of um, one's certainties, one's uh, escape routes, one's decision-making, one's ability to choose. You know, can you? And if you're not ready for that, well, just you know, keep practicing. Um, but this certainly this has been, you know, a strong feature of my own practice. It's ironic because it always seems, it probably seems like here I am making all the decisions and choosing what to do and what, you know. Till, but very few people actually ask me, what would you really like to do? If you had to complete free will, what would you decide to do? It wouldn't be, you know, what washing machine you're going to buy. <laughs> yeah. Just my whole life has been has not been based upon the desire to to go to a finance meeting and figure out the budget, and uh, you know, it isn't such a wonderful experience, really. It's all right. Because uh, I tend to trust more and more over time the sense of some choicelessness, some letting go, is the main theme. Is that, you know, this is what's coming, okay, I'll be with that. So practice with it, work with it. Remember that, uh, that when I was at Amrawaddi, we we got there. I think Ajahn Brudam and I went up to Amrawaddi after being at um, Chithurst, and it had already been a pretty, pretty um, deep end kind of career <laughs> coming to Chithurst and just not having anywhere else to go. So we come here, and then well, this is the way it is. So you just work all day, and sometimes work into the night and to just do that that's the way it is so it's, it's sort of okay and then uh, going after Harnam it's got sent in those days we didn't choose we, we were just sent so you were sent to Harnam which had no heat uh, up in Northumberland uh, very little support and I don't know they bore you all the details but it was very very rough very rugged Yes, well, okay, this is what it is. We practice with this. And then uh, Amrawaddi. So Ajahn Samina said, I want you to come to Amrawaddi. Okay, fine. Go to Amrawaddi, new place. Ajahn Vrudama and I went up there, opened the place up, big place. And we just started going around. Okay, well, these can designate rooms to people. Then those, you know, so people just go to these various rooms live and this is where the nuns could live over here and so forth and um, pretty soon within a few few days it was decided I was the stores monk the guest monk, the information officer and um, teaching uh, being with guests and <laughs> in your spare time I had a kind of little office that people used to come to for ask anything with, to, with a telephone in it so people could phone up and ask for things or just come in and ask for things I was also looking after the guests, 
and the stores and the training of the nuns and then the training of the monks as well. So it was a fair amount of of, uh, of overload in a way. And yet it, it found it very helpful because it just kind of um, just not think about myself. And I felt uh, some tiredness certainly, fatigue certainly, but a kind of joy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only way I could relate that the mind eventually was, was pushed to a place where the only thing it could do was to love people. Because it couldn't do anything, it couldn't stop them, control them, make them behave, <laughs> make them go away. You know, it just had to just be more loving, which was a very useful thing for me. <coughs> when I say love, I don't mean necessarily uh, affection or, or sentimental highs, but more compassionate. Uh, towards people rather than you know what are you getting in my way or if you're not useful or I don't really like this person or why bother me you know the things that we normally you know this is the person I don't really like this person we get on well you know and he's a bit of a nuisance I'm going to be with him and she's great she can get you know she can help me but actually just the whole lot of them um, and so yeah, it's a sense of compassion it was very helpful. So, uh, feeling that in m- most situations in in the holy life, one was bound by the precepts, bound from from you know in some way you're really bound from negative physical karma, and you you're bound from most negative verbal karma if you actually keep the training rules. You know, so this is great. Because then you, you're kind of safe. You can you can be negative and fed up and miserable and uptight and so forth and depressed. But you can't you actually the amount of karmic damage you can do is is res, is much reduced, and you get the immediate instant karma because the only karma you can create you're going <laughs> to feel yourself, <laughs> which is you know how uptight do you want to be, you know how, how depressed do you want to be, or you can just. Finally, the mind knows how to let go of it rather than keep inflicting these things upon itself. You know, I can be exasperated with people, fed up with people, create all kinds of how dare they and why did they, or I can just, you know, stop that. And I learn to stop it. I think I'd spent one, one rains retreat, my determination retreat was not to complain. It wasn't that I, somebody told me I shouldn't. I just, oh, I'm just tired of com- my mind complaining. I just, you know, it just makes me feel so bad. This is not a kind of I should be nice and, and generous and faithful. It's just I, I'm fed up with the pain of my mind complaining about. Oh, she's always late. He never does his share of work. <laughs> he goes and he thinks a lot of himself, doesn't he? <laughs> Tea's no good here. Why do we have to sit so long in the mornings and eat this gruel? Why don't you know, just have to talk so much? Just give me a break, will you? Just shut up. <laughs> you know, and actually, so whenever it would go, it would start to go like this. You, know, you, you stop complaining. It's just, just, just stop. What do you do? You just open up and don't have that little 
weasel mind come in with telling, punching everybody else's ticket, telling everybody, saying where everybody else is at, you know, how, well, she's not really, you know, he's always like this, you know, the way it should be, the little weasel comes in, it's, you know, it creates how it would be all right if this wasn't like that, you know, desperately trying to create a world, and uh, even if it's going to be, you know, painful, it's going to be the way I see it. Mm. And the, this is the kind of compulsion of grasping. Is even this makes me feel utterly wretched and black. Still, the need for me to create a world that fits in with my ideas is so strong that I will do that to myself. I'm not going to do it. I just got to suspend all that. You know, when it comes down to the to the crunch of, do you want to know the way it should be, or do you want to stop suffering? Um, I think I'd like to stop suffering. So that was kind of a helpful practice like that, because it, it just that sense of the mind still did, you know, feel you know, offended or shocked or hurt, but he couldn't actually, you know, consciously be given the free reign to describe and embellish the injustice. (laughs) Stop, you know, get more immediate than that, is a more immediate remedy than, and I can see actually that, that, you know, creating the most elaborate, um, detailed uh, studies of the injustice and how it sh- didn't actually make one feel, I give a little glimmer of satisfaction, but not really very much. A little glimmer of pleasure, but not much. Whereas, it's of just holding my own heart, really, with compassion. Much better. Much better. And so, just to remember that, you know, that we can think it's a situation or other people that we have to hold with compassion, really intimately, it's just that feeling in your own heart to hold with compassion. A feeling of shock, or I don't know what to do, or sadness, or somebody else is suffering. Just to, to, to hold that with compassion, which means not to fix it, not to defend yourself from it, not to blame anybody, not to have an answer. You kind of gather around it. feel the feeling. Mm. This to me is a very, very important intention. It's not an intelligent intention. And, uh, you know, being someone whose personality is quite interested in, has been quite interested in intelligence, fond of intelligence, the uh, 
the bright patterns of it that it can weave, the sense of clarity it can conduce, the feeling of knowing it all that can happen, the, sh- the quickness of it. You see, yes, it is, it is quite happy, but there is pleasure in it, but it's not enough. Because the world, reality, still doesn't fit in to those patterns in the mind. And eventually, it comes down to it, you just have to hold, I just have to hold the unknowing, the unjust, the unfair, the painful, the hurt, the mistaken. Hmm. Then, oh, this is better. This is better. Mm. So, faith. Mm. Because begin to recognize I never really will understand intellectually as an idea what's going on. I never will understand anybody else. I never will understand myself. I will never understand what to do with my life. I will never have a clear idea, and because uh, I don't, I don't really trust them. I don't trust their their, their cleverness and their finishedness and their polish. I don't trust it. Don't feel right. But we're not. I don't recommend just uh, you know becoming coherent and stupid but training one's attention to hold, to be with to, to notice, to focus on what's really going on intimately get the big picture of it what's happening in my nervous system what's happening in my thinking system, what's happening when energies are suddenly speeding up or spinning or sinking or tightening or hardening you know, defense coming up or sinking and feeling you know, sagging or is it just, you know, where, where is it kind of open, buoyant, bright? Energy's good. The whole system. So you get a real intimate experience of hindrance and an intimate experience of enlightenment factors, of samatha, of calm, of joy of rapture mm. so uh, it's um, to me it's quite um, something I find quite interested really in, in how apparent contact like so particularly the last well many years but this last weekend this weekend for example is just more or less full on contact people things to think about things to talk about things happening decisions you made and don't feel particularly tired don't feel particularly not I've got a lot of things whirring away in my mind. I don't feel particularly, I feel quite fine. Mm. It wasn't that I w- wasn't 
wasn't I wasn't there that things didn't happen but I don't I find my mind doesn't seem to make a world out of it like it used to doesn't linger on it doesn't ask for much for it doesn't search for it all to get right or hope it'll all be right or you know just notices and you know, there's this feeling of this feels good and this doesn't feel good and it doesn't actually add up to make some conclusion out of it. So there's a lot of energy that gets used up, doesn't there, in totting it all up, remembering it, regurgitating it, planning it, sorting it out, figuring out where it should and what we're going to do and what would happen if. It burns up a lot of stuff where if you just let it be, you know, um, it washes through and you say what you say and you think what you think and there's nothing left at the end of it because you haven't created a world you didn't but didn't bother to create a world you don't believe in worlds certainly you know this is something that we have a choice of it doesn't you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm sure for all of us, including myself, it's frustrating to to get a clear understanding of Dharma and yet find out that one system actually hasn't got it yet. You know, got it in the head, understand, and yet uh, you know the, the the nerve endings, the heart is still kind of jumps up and thrashes around and goes through its stuff again. <laughs> oh dear, I'm tired of this. Yeah. Well, that's where the compassion is needed because you see, even with that you know what happens you know, oh, I'm st- I've been like this for 10 years I've added I, this doesn't work I'm going to be like this forever you know, we've added, the, added up haven't we you know, just to recognise that, that if, you, you know, if you don't do that don't proliferate on it we can get into these tight spaces and just, oh, I feel really tight you know, dark, irritable, confused. Oh, just, just, just to hold that. Then you know, maybe meditation time, ten minutes, half an hour, an hour. It's, it's, it's quite beautiful to feel that just the presence of compassion, the presence of kindness, the presence of spaciousness, non-doing but holding it quite clearly has this effect of you know, things undo themselves I really have, have a lot of faith in this myself it's, just, it's not something I just through, through experience really and, that, and you know, I find that it gets quicker for me to the point in which I can always be doing it in the present. I can feel myself about to get, you know, that the, the hackle is about to rise. And, you, know, you know, just feel that sense of disagreement or annoyance, and mm-hmm. or the the you know, retraction about to occur, you know, to to happen, and you no, know, just so you c- you can be actually staying in the presence of co- of a, of external contact that is you know challenging 
feel the challenge, know it's challenging, and yet know where the ending of that is, where you don't pick it up. This is something that we we can do. We we all do it, I'm sure. And to but to really to, to, to develop that have the faith we can develop it. Faith has to be balanced out by wisdom, but wisdom has to be balanced out by faith. Sometimes I feel that you know the, the obvious sort of um, stereotype is that you know Asian people have all the faith, and then the Western people tend to more towards the wisdom or the understanding aspects of it. And I suppose you know there is a certain truth in all of these stereotypes, and we tend to be much more uh, motivated towards, you know, getting it all figured out in our heads, reading books and producing ideas and theories. And probably our world, our Western world, is like it is because of that. And we're like, you know, it's mutually conditioning, isn't it? The more complex we make it, the more complicated we get to deal with it. The more complicated we get, the more complexities we create. <laughs> require and demand and so it goes on <laughs> but uh, for the holy life and some life there's this sense of you know can can we go the other way can we get more spacious can we you know, see that the you don't you, you it's the idea is not to kind of run faster to get to the end of the race the idea is to get out of the race you don't get out of it by running, get out of it by seeing where it ends, contact. How much is stuff really pressing into you? Can you let contact be a little more spacious? What creates space in terms of contact, the non-appetite for contact, the non-relishing of it, the non-resistance of it? non-pushing against it. And so you have to be very um, full on with this because of course we don't want unpleasant contact but just notice you know, honestly in yourself that hunger for contact. You know, of course we don't hunger for unpleasant contact but the hunger for pleasant contact will certainly mean that unpleasant contact is going to hold us a lot more strongly because you rise up to it the mind is attuned to it the mind makes much of it it finds it's it leans upon contact it leans upon you know the comfortable or the pleasant or the fun or the exciting or the interesting or the new or the ideas therefore it's training itself to incline towards contact so it's leaning over into that and then you lean over and then when the fist comes bonk <laughs> whereas if you know how to you know just not buy into pleasant contact you don't get so bashed around by the unpleasant attention you know, so more you can just let your attention be in the present moment noticing 
recollecting what's going on in your own system. It's very important just, you know, before we start to study other people and the world around us and we get your 2020 vision upon what's your problem <laughs> how you are let's really attend to what's happening in this one and the where the joy is where the love is where the peacefulness is where the stress is how it all adds up there an intention what's the intention what's the wish what's the really shining shining wish Refuge wish. Yeah. This really is the leader of your the world. There's that wish for you know brightness and compassion, clarity in what in holding yourself. Then you you feel held by it. You don't, if that wish isn't there, if that you know, if there isn't some sense of real, you know, sometimes it's the normality of our lives that we, we, th- we think, oh, it's normal. The heart isn't really fully there with it. So you're walking around. Dum, dum, dum. Just imagine what it'd be like if you're walking around, say, and somebody was saying. Oh, it's really nice to see you. I'm so pleased you turned up. How would you feel? So, if that isn't happening, what is happening? Oh, it's another day, I've probably got to do this. And You never get where you... Actually, we're, we're sitting in our own bathwater of, of um, you know this randomness, random that, sort of slightly jumbled perceptions and moods. And there isn't a real full-on holding of oneself. It's what composure, restraint is about. But to hold yourself not like you're trying to change a wild dog down, but holding yourself like this is the really precious, valued being. And then you perk up. And when you you have that intention, that sort of basic state of friendliness and compassion towards this being, valuing this being, you know, it, it really means you start to you don't you're not seeing things through this mist of dejection or hankering. Then taking some of the, the weight of this karma, of the negative karma away from you. This is really for one's own welfare. And probably, you know, nobody, obviously none of us wish for our, wish for our, our sickness or illness or our suffering. Do we really, really wish and grant ourselves uh, blessing?
as if you were a disciple of the Buddha, endowed, you know, granted, authorized, empowered, offered, given to, see, cherished. You, know. you really grant grant yourself that because it's uh, you know no matter how many much anybody else does that, and certainly for someone as the lay people do that a lot. If you don't do it for yourself, it just doesn't 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 stick. So in this this very fabric of the world, the sankharas, the contact, attention, intention, this is where we can generate worlds and systems that lead to our bondage and stress. We can create vantage points which help us to understand that and see that. And we can find the, the resource in purity to relinquish the creation of worlds. Andamayang damagataya sadu karang dadamase sadu